Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Good day, No Rain Date listeners, and welcome to episode 34 of our local news and interviews podcast. I'm Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, and I am happy to wish you a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas this week. We are almost at the end of 2020, amazing as that is. So congratulations. If you're like 99.999% of the world, you're probably very eager to say goodbye to this year and welcome in 2021. And we're just about a week away from that. In a little while, we're going to have our reporter and producer, Johnny Hart, on to discuss the results of our holiday lights contest so i know you're going to want to stay tuned for that he has coordinated the entire contest and promoted it and done a great job and it's also been for a good cause raising money for several organizations that help both people and animals in our community and he's going to highlight that as well along with the winners and we'll be doing some prize presentations and some check presentations in the upcoming couple of weeks. But before that, I want to give you the news roundup for this week. This is the week ending December 26th, 2020. It's been pretty quiet news-wise in the Saucon Valley and surrounding areas over the past week. We have not had a lot of huge news stories. The weather has been a story. A week ago, we had a major snowstorm that left as much as a foot of snow on local areas and even more further north. And that was followed by several very cold days. It truly felt like winter, although actually at that point, uh, winter had not officially yet begun. The weather has sort of flipped. And ironically enough, we now have almost 60 degree weather for Christmas, which is the one time when you would kind of think it might be nice to have some cold and a little bit of snow, especially since people aren't traveling as much this year due to COVID-19. Obviously, stores have been busy in recent days with last-minute holiday shopping taking place. As far as the actual holiday, I think more people are staying home and celebrating with their immediate households as opposed to having the big family gatherings that they might traditionally have. But it's going to be an unusual holiday that way and weather-wise. We are under a flood watch for Thursday night due to the warm temperatures combining with rapid snow melt. A lot of the snow will definitely be gone from the ground by Christmas morning. So uh, if you're hoping to wake up to white on the ground, that's not going to happen this year. 2020 strikes yet again. (laughs) But it will still be a special day, of course, and temperatures will be falling back to normal levels. It's also supposed to be very windy, so hopefully those wind gusts will not cause any 
power outages. We want everybody to be able to be warm, at least at home, and enjoy the holiday with their loved ones. Who knows what the rest of this winter will bring weather-wise. It's probably anybody's guess at this point. Last winter was very warm. This winter has started out colder and snowier than normal. We will continue to report on all of the weather news that affects you and your livelihood, your family here in Saucon Valley. That's something that we enjoy doing and we'll continue to do that. We also have reported on quite a few holiday-related stories, which is nice to share that kind of news at this time of year. Some schools sort of adapted to the COVID-19 pandemic by doing things a little differently this year. St. Michael the Archangel Elementary School, which is a Catholic school in Upper Saucon Township near Coopersburg, they actually did something pretty cool on the last day of school for their pre-K students. They had a Santa parade outside the school and all the kids' parents like decorated their, their vehicles and su- sort of surprised them by coming by. And so the vehicles had bows and tinsel on them. And, of course, Santa made an appearance, too. And this was, like I said, done safely outside the school in the fresh air. Kids were seated six feet apart on the walkway. And it was an opportunity to give the kids a little bit of normalcy in a time that is is challenged in that way. It, it definitely was a hit, and we have photos of that by Chris Christian on SaucanSource.com. We also have a, a heartwarming story about the Allentown Rescue Mission's Employee of the Month for the Clean Team. He is somebody who has benefited from the Clean Team, which is a workforce development program that the Allentown Rescue Mission has had in place for a number of years. Of course, if you're not familiar with the Rescue Mission, they are dedicated to helping homeless men get back on their feet. In addition to a shelter, the organization provides them with resources and training skills so that they have the opportunity to remain independent and not fall back into unhealthy patterns uh, once they leave. And it's a great organization. They're actually one of our recipients of the fundraising donations from the Holiday Lights Contest this year, along with the Center for Animal Health and Welfare and the Food Bank at New Jerusalem Church, which is run by the Hellertown Area Ministerium. But back to the Allentown Rescue Mission, Donald, who is their December employee of the month, previously worked for Allentown, cleaning the streets for the city of Allentown, but he's now employed at the Bethlehem Landfill, which is owned by Waste Connections and located in Lower Saucon Township. He's doing a great job there. He said he really enjoys the work there and the teamwork that takes place. Sounds like... He's very deserving of the recognition, and uh, it's our pleasure to highlight that type of thing. If you have a story like that, somebody that's doing something special, maybe it's a volunteer, maybe it could be a special needs person, but it doesn't have to be, and it's as long as it's local, we'd, we'd love to hear about it. You can always email me uh, story ideas at josh at com, 
I'll do my best to follow up with you regarding your idea. It's always good to give us a little bit of lead time if it's something that's time sensitive so we can fully develop the story and, and have it written in a, in a way that's really going to highlight the great things that are going on, whether it's an individual, an organization, what have you. But that's always a goal, and we uh, greatly appreciate our readers who do provide us with story ideas and tips. You can also do that by messaging the Facebook page, and uh, those messages are checked regularly. And, of course, if you don't like us on Facebook yet, be sure to go on to Sock and Source and like and follow the page. Most of our content is posted there as well as it's also in our newsletter and I would encourage everybody to subscribe to that. The newsletter is free. It goes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evening. Typically, unless there's a holiday, that's also full of the latest ads that are by local businesses and so it's a great way to catch up on the news and see what businesses are offering I know this week we've had some ads for Christmas church services that are taking place in the Hellertown area. Things are, again, different this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, some churches, such as Christ Lutheran, are holding their services virtually. Another church, St. Teresa of the Child Jesus, is holding in-person services, but with safety restrictions in place. You had to make a reservation actually for services and they have a number of different times on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Uh, that's mass uh, rather at St. Teresa. Obviously they have seating arrangements that account for social distancing so there won't be people packed into pews close together like at a normal Christmas service and everything is being sanitized and masks have to be worn. The biggest challenge might be getting out Christmas Eve night due to the wet weather that's coming into the area. But as some people are saying, at least it's not snow. (laughs) If it was very heavy snow, then that would also be a problem. So it's always something, it seems, in 2020. But if you are worshiping at home, in person, We wish you a very Merry Christmas, of course, and happy, healthy worship. The other big story that we have continued to cover is the COVID-19 vaccinations, which continue at St. Luke's University Health Network, as well as Lehigh Valley Health Network. This is a part of the rollout of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, which began in mid-December, and Among the first groups to receive it are all frontline healthcare workers, obviously because they are at high risk for uh, catching the disease due to their occupation. They are exposed to patients who have it. So that's been a massive undertaking, but it sounds like it's gone very smoothly. St. Luke's has shared photos of the vaccinations, which we've published in a couple different stories. I know just last weekend alone, they vaccinated thousands of employees, and they have something like 16,000 employees at, I believe, 12 different campuses. That's a lot of people to get vaccinated in a short time. 
Also being vaccinated are EMS, first responders, and residents of assisted living facilities. So that's typically seniors um, because they are at very high risk, especially being in those facilities where the disease can spread easily. So that's definitely some good news this Christmas and and a ray of hope for people who are weary of COVID-19. The pandemic began in March, so for more than nine months, it's basically controlled everyone's life to some degree. The degree varies based on what you do and your family situation. And, you know, certainly some people have been able to maybe cope better than others, but everybody's situation is different. And and that's also been part of the challenge of COVID-19 because none of us knows what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. That's sort of why we we would hope that, you know, for this holiday season and beyond, everyone in our community would just take a moment to, you know, try and empathize with somebody, even if you don't understand them, maybe don't understand their their politics or their views. We need a little bit more of that. That's something that I think our coverage recently has reflected. We want to share the the positive stories with you, along with the important news that isn't always happy. Of course, we have a duty to share that, and we'll continue to do that. But there's always an opportunity to provide balance in news coverage, and we try to do that. That is our news roundup for this week, and next week we will be presenting a special year in review where we will talk about some of the biggest stories of 2020 in the local area, and of course those will include COVID-19 stories, stories related to Black Lives Matter, protests that were held over the summer, the presidential election. It's been an unbelievable year to be in the news business. I feel honored and privileged to have been able to cover it locally and uh, to have so many supporters in the community for my coverage. So I hope you will tune in and we'll, of course, you know, highlight some of the positive stories from the year. Johnny is also going to talk about some of the stories that he's written. We'll have a little bit of a uh, of an exchange, you know, talking about the news and trying to put it in in some context for you at the end of this incredible year. And speaking of Johnny, he is now going to present the winners and talk a little bit about what they will be receiving for having the best decorated house and the best lit business in the Lehigh Valley, according to our Saucon Source readers who voted in the poll that determined the winners. So here's Johnny. Thank you, Josh, for the introduction. We launched our Holiday Lights contest tour and fundraiser back at the end of November on November 27th. And in doing so, we invited homes and businesses to submit pictures of their holiday displays. We wanted to highlight some of the festivity that was lining the streets and neighborhoods in our communities. And we also wanted to use it as an opportunity to raise money for some local charities. 2020 has obviously been a very tough time and hectic, and it's been hard for places to get perhaps the same sort of monetary support that they might have previously. So we were hoping to help some of these wonderful charities out with this 
fundraiser. As Josh mentioned earlier, the fundraiser benefits the Allentown Rescue Mission, the Center for Animal Health and Welfare, and the Community Food Bank for the Hellertown Area Ministerium. And these are charities that we have dealt with in the past that we have reported on. We've even had folks from the Center for Animal Health and Welfare, as well as the Allentown Rescue Mission on previous episodes of No Rain Date. So we are familiar with these charities and we know the good work that they do and we were hoping that we could do something to help them out and we were hoping that our readers would join us in that effort and sure enough you did. Our readers sent in a bunch of great submissions, a lot of really nice looking homes and businesses. In total we received 33 entries, six of which were businesses. Thanks to them we'll be able to make a nice donation to these charities in the coming weeks so keep an eye out for that. But as for the winners of the contest, like I said, we had a lot of really great submissions and we had a home and a business that really went all out and our readers recognized their hard work by voting for them in large numbers. So Brian Dougherty from Nazareth took home the prize for the best house that was entered into the contest. And Brian's house looks really, really nice. I encourage you to check it out. It's a pretty classic holiday lights display, not too many colorful lights. It's a lot of, you know, standard Christmas lights lining his Victorian looking home, which is, it's just a really classic look, which is never a bad thing when it comes to a holiday display. And then the winner on the business side was the Lehigh and Keystone Valley Model Railroad Museum, which is on Linden Street in Bethlehem. And they have definitely more of a unique display. They have a lot more colorful lights, maybe consider, you know, a more modern Christmas display. And they also kind of reference, you know, the railroad portion of their business. And they have some railroad signs that are lined with lights on the front of their business. So it's a really cool looking building, and if you've driven in that area of Bethlehem before around the holidays, you might have noticed it. I've, I'm from the area, and I want to say that I've, I've noticed that building before and always kind of vaguely remember it looking really cool around the holidays, but perhaps you don't really know what they do inside the Railroad Museum. So definitely keep an eye out on Sock and Source in the coming weeks for that too. We'd like to pay a visit to them and maybe do some reporting on the displays and the stuff they have inside. I know they have a lot of really cool, you know, historical sort of artifacts about the Lehigh Valley. So keep an eye out for that. But they did a really good job. Both winners did a really great job with their holiday lights display, as did all of our submissions. It was a close race. The Holmes race was a little tighter. In total, we received about 800 votes combined for both races, So, but we wanted to thank everyone who submitted and contributed to this charitable effort. Like I said, we had so many good submissions. You can still check them out on our story, which was published on December 16th. You can still scroll through the gallery and look at them that way. And on that same story, as well as our new story, which we highlight the winners, we've also embedded maps, which contain each entry into the Holiday Lights contest. So using that, you can treat yourself to a nice little tour of the area's nice holiday displays and certainly be sure to check out our two winners, Brian's home up in Nazareth and then the Railroad Museum in Bethlehem. And then of course, our wonderful sponsors put together great prize baskets, which we will be delivering to our winners in the near future. Both winners will receive a gift card to Tai Tai 2, and then we also have gift cards to Root Crafted Mixers, the Apollo Grill, Keystone Pub, Simplicity, and Peeps Company. And then we also have a bottle of wine and a bottle of champagne, so each basket will get one of each. 
But our sponsors really did a great job helping us out with these prize baskets. So shout out to Bob's Valleywide Carpet Care and Blair Custom Homes. They did a really great job with the prize baskets and just being a part of this effort with us, we can't thank them enough. Thanks to them being on board with this charity effort, we'll be able to make a nice donation. The prize baskets have a great selection of gift cards to local businesses, which is a great thing. It'll help, you know, if the winners of the prize will be able to give some business to some local shops and restaurants, which which is great. I think Josh and I have noticed throughout our coverage of the coronavirus pandemic that the the local businesses have always done a really good job of of supporting one another, rallying around one another, and I think that these prize baskets just kind of serve as another example of that. So we will be delivering those in the coming weeks and we'll also be giving out the checks in the coming weeks as well. So keep an eye on Sock and Source. There's still going to be some news pertaining to the lights contest in the coming weeks. But real quick, we would just want to once again thank everyone who contributed to the fundraiser in any way, even if it was just sharing a link on Facebook and certainly a shout out to the people who submitted pictures as well. Because of the community and, and their willingness to be involved in this sort of thing, we, we were able to raise some money for some good charities and, and spread some holiday cheer, which is always a great thing to do. So right now we're going to have a brief message from Josh, and then he's going to be joined by Eric Bartos and Tony Chirambolo to talk about their involvement with the Upper Saucon Township Volunteer Fire Department, some of the recent events they had and some upcoming events, as well as some holiday fire prevention ideas and a whole lot more. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Thank you. Here at Saucon Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome two gentlemen who have dedicated themselves to helping keep members of our community safe through their work with the Upper Saucon Volunteer Fire Department. 
Eric Bartos and Lieutenant Tony Cherambolo. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely, Josh. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Josh. Absolutely. We always try and support and encourage our readers to support all of their local volunteer fire departments, including, you know, obviously Hellertown and Lower Saucon, but Upper Saucon is right around the corner. And through mutual aid, I know you guys collaborate, you know, and, and support each other frequently. So, and, and Fountain Hill and the list goes on. So it's wonderful to have you here at the end of 2020. I know this has been a different year for, for everybody, volunteer, fire companies included. To get us started, I kind of wanted to ask each of you to maybe explain what drew you to volunteer firefighting in the first place. It's certainly a major time commitment for anyone that, that wants to get involved, and it's not something that, that's financially lucrative, but I know it can be very satisfying. So how long have you been with the Upper Saucon Volunteer fire department and uh and do you want to start off eric sure i've been here going on five years now and as far as a a little bit of my reasoning and motivation so i grew up in massachusetts and both my father and my grandfather my my dad's father were both career firefighters so Hmm. for any for any listener the distinction between career and volunteer career departments are where people you know, work full time and, and get paid for it. So my, my dad and my grandfather were both career firefighters. So I grew up surrounded by the firefighter life and all my dad's friends were firefighters. So it was always something that meant a lot to me. And when I moved here to Pennsylvania here, especially in Eastern part of Pennsylvania, it's, it's largely all volunteer and I live close to the station. So it was definitely on my bucket list of what I wanted to pursue just to kind of be kind of a third generation Bartos firefighter. So it's been hmm. a, it's been a really amazing five years with a with a great group of guys. Awesome, Tony. Yeah, it's going to be kind of hard to follow up that story because mine is definitely not as interesting. So I joined when I was seventeen back in September of two thousand and thirteen. So I I just hit seven years a couple months ago. Honestly, when I started joining, I didn't have you know an end goal in the fire service. I I was doing this as you know a senior in high school. I, I recently found out that you could do it that young, and I kind of figured you know I didn't have too many other things. I wasn't a huge sports guy. I wasn't you know in any crazy amounts of extracurricular activities. So I found out that I could do this, and it was interesting. It was different and pretty neat. So I figured I would try it out, and I came down to the station, talked to the chief, who who's still the chief today, Chuck Castetter, filled out an application, got accepted. It's actually funny that you bring up Lower Salkin. Uh, A funny note to that story is while I was waiting to get approved here, I didn't realize how long of a process that could take. I just waiting for the following monthly meeting. I didn't think I was going to get approved, so I also applied at Lower Saucon Fire Department. I was close to being a member there because they accepted me pretty early on. But I I started here, and one of the assistant chiefs at the time, Bob Jones, he got me set up in a Fire One class, which is you know our basic fire academy, and I had no intent really when I joined of becoming a firefighter. I just wanted to help out. I just kind of, as a matter of fact, went through the class. And so to become a a certified firefighter, you need to be 18 to complete a live burn and a series of practical tests to, you know, finish up your academy class. And I wasn't 18 at the end of my class. So I, I wasn't even going through the class. I wasn't even going to finish as the firefighter, as a certified firefighter. And I kind of saw that as, you know, it's a, it's a good learning experience. And if I end up finishing it someday, so be it. 
And uh, as it would turn out, one of our members, Carl Ross, actually helped me out significantly and found a class that was running and finishing up just after, you know, a week or two after my 18th birthday. He happened to know the instructor and got me into that class to finish up. So like a couple weeks after turning 18, I became a certified firefighter, which I never really thought would happen. And Hmm. from there, that's kind of my intro story into the fire services. It was all matter of fact and and by chance, you know, and I love it. I love every day of it. You know, years later, I've, I've served in a couple different roles. I've been a junior training coordinator where I handle our junior program. I've been a lieutenant for the past two years. I'll be going into my third year doing that coming up. And it's just a very rewarding place to be and a service to be in, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's quite an accomplishment at, at eight, just barely 18, like becoming a certified firefighter. That's awesome. I'm sure not, maybe not every 18-year-old is, is, you know, maybe has the maturity level to, to do that, but it's awesome that the opportunity is there and that you can start, you know, I think you can start as young as 15 or is that the age? In most departments, you can start as young as 14 years old. There are a lot of uh, restrictions on, you know, different age groups. So while I was a junior training coordinator, I have some interesting insight on this where I kind of had to deal with a lot of Department of Labor and Industry laws and sort our department out to that to those. So uh, it's, it's broken down into two different age groups as far as junior firefighters go. Your 14 and 15 year olds are rather restricted on what they can do. And most departments will actually even implement further restrictions such as, you know, like you're not riding trucks to calls at 14 and 15 and stuff like that. And then, you know, you become 16 and 17, you open up your reins a little bit as far as what times you can be around responding to calls and for drills, the amount of time that you can spend during a day or a week at the firehouse. Because the firehouse, though it is volunteer, does fall under Department of Labor and Industries working paper requirements for those underage people, 14 through 17-year-olds. And then there's even a lot of classes that you can start getting involved in and learning some good stuff from the ages of 16 and 17. Like I said, I fire one class that at the time that I went through, they were letting people who were 16 and 17 go through even knowing that, you know, you wouldn't be able to finish. I think now they're slightly more restrictive where they want to know that you're going to be 18 by the time the class is done so they don't have, you know, the issue that I ran into. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you can start a lot of classes and get a lot of good certified training in at the ages of 16 and 17 so that when you do turn 18, you know, you're, you're hitting the ground running a little bit more than some, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's good to know. And certainly if somebody has the enthusiasm at that age and the energy, you, you, you kind of want to encourage them to the extent that you can, because there is, overall, there's a shortage of, of volunteer firefighters. If you look throughout the state, certainly that's become better known, I think, in recent years. But the total number of volunteers, I think it dropped from like four 400,000, like 40 years ago to like 50,000 today or something crazy like that. It's an interesting point you bring up, Josh, because it's certainly, you know, I think every, one one thing that probably a lot of listeners don't realize, I mean, I know I never did until I got involved with the fire service, but in, in the U.S. we're largely, we're largely a volunteer firefighting service. So there's a, right now in 2020, there's, a, there's roughly a million firefighters in the U.S. and about 750,000 of those are volunteers. So hmm. About 75% of firefighters in America are volunteer firefighters. And here in Pennsylvania, 
the statistics are weighted even more heavily towards volunteer. In, in the state of Pennsylvania, it's about 90% volunteer. So a lot of mm-hmm. people don't don't really think about that. They dial they dial 911 and a and a fire truck arrives. But so for any listener locally and, and especially folks that are younger that are interested in this, it's a really interesting line to pursue and to learn more about and, and to get involved. And as Tony was pointing out, you can do you can do a lot of things even before you're 18. But these departments, re- recruitment is a huge issue for almost any volunteer department. And yeah, those numbers have have dropped. People are are always busy. And there is a there is, you know, there is a pretty aggressive expectation as far as training goes. And one thing that's different probably in 2020 than maybe it was 20 years ago is that more departments now do require or have a have a high expectation that people do complete that fire academy, mm-hmm. which isn't always that's not always been the case. But most departments now have some insurance requirements that that really push people to do fire one training, which it's a, it's a good amount of hours. It's about probably 225 hours. Hmm. So that that does that can scare some some people off from a recruitment standpoint, but it's, you know, it's one thing to know, but you do come out, you know, the good news is you come out of that knowing a tremendous amount that you wouldn't just by kind of hanging around the fire station, kind of the old school way, right? You're like you go mm-hmm. to the fire station, they give you, give you some gear and say hop on the truck and, you know, put the wet stuff on the red stuff. So it's a little bit more involved in that now, but you're a much more prepared firefighter, which is, you know, best for you and the community. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's a life and it can be a life and death job and learning on the job, I guess, <laughs> can be can be problematic in, in that sense. So training is, you know, training is very, very important. And you guys continuously go through training no matter what level you're at, correct? No, absolutely. Yeah. So as far as like regularly scheduled department training, every Monday we have something going on training wise whether it be, you know, updates in our general meetings or truck and battery checks where we check all the equipment on every truck. And then, of course, just like honing in and, and fine-tuning some specific skills. We'll do vehicle extrication drills and such like that. To that note as well, a lot of people see the fire department and think, you know, firefighters with the hose and the fire and everything like that. There's, there's a lot of other specialty aspects that we have training in and that there is training available for. So one of the big ones here in Upper Saucon and Lower Saucon is, is very similar in that aspect is we have a lot of highway that we cover, especially with Interstate 78. 378 here in Upper Saucon, we have 309 and Center Valley Parkway as well. So what we see a lot are um, some pretty serious motor vehicle accidents and, you know, different different things that go along with that. So one of the trainings that we have available to us that a lot of our members here at Upper Saucon and same with Lower Saucon have are going to be that vehicle rescue technician training, which is your classic jaws of life training. Those classes kind of teach you all about disentangling people from vehicles, you know, moving the vehicle around the person to safely extricate a patient, which is completely different in a whole separate avenue than the whole fire side, than pulling a hose off a truck and going into a burning building. On the rescue side of things, which is a a significant function that we perform as, you have, you know, confined space rescue, rope and high angle rescue, some others. As far as the fire side goes, we have some brush fire trainings, forestry, stuff like that. There's, There's all sorts of different avenues that you can go down and specialize in. You know, even if you don't come in and right away go through that fire one, if you want to be more of a rescue guy, 
you know, you're not 100% sure on, on running into a burning building, that rescue avenue is there, and it's completely independent of that fire avenue, though mm-hmm. most of our people are trained in, in both. What about, like, like I'm thinking about water, water rescues because of the flooding we had a couple months ago, and you also have that the intersection of Center Valley Parkway and 309, which is very flood prone. That intersection's tough. <laughs> tough no matter what the weather, right? I think the morning call at that is like the Lehigh Valley's most dangerous intersection of 2019, just based oh, on yeah. the amount of period. I don't know if you saw that one. I believe it. I mean, I know ultimately they're supposed to get rid of that light there, right? But that's like years and years away. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard some pretty interesting concepts, you know, as far as building kind of like a, an overpass and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen even concrete. So in, in the meantime, it's it <laughs> remained in a, a busy place. Job security for you guys. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Josh, you brought up water rescue. That's another another avenue, too, that, that people have a lot of specific training in, especially we saw in Superstorm Isaias or Tropical Storm Isaias. We had quite a significant amount of people getting stuck in the water. And speaking of that intersection there, one of the calls that we actually went on that day, one of the first calls was a, a newborn baby, an infant, that was just released from the hospital. I think they literally said one day old. Hmm. And because of the coronavirus, they don't want to keep them around the hospital too much. So they were sent home. The parents, they were they were freaking out in the car as they, they couldn't move anywhere. So we actually rolled up and were able to get mom, dad, and the newborn baby on board to our trucks and drive them home. Luckily, they lived in the townships. So we were able to take them right to their front doorstep and deliver the baby home. Oh, wow. Pretty I'm sure they were very there. relieved to see you that day. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that when you bring up the water stuff, Josh, because it's it's something, you know, these what they would used to refer to as like a 100-year storm. Obviously, we're seeing a lot a lot more of those. And as more development happens, certainly here in Upper Saucon, we're, it's, it's a continuous state of new construction that's going on. And the more, the more that gets built, the less places the water has to go, right? So mm-hmm. we tend to see more and more of these flooding incidents that happen with with greater frequency so that sort of training is always on the front burner for us and i'm guessing lower socking too because it's not that it's not that dissimilar right yeah the socking creek is goes through both and and i certainly feel like i've covered more flooding in the last few years than in the prior 10 years probably so i, right. would, I would agree with that i wanted to touch a little bit on fire prevention especially because we're in the midst of the holiday season now and i think that's a time when there are additional risks you know for fires and all throughout the winter winter months too obviously because people are using heat sources that they wouldn't be using the rest of the year what what are some common causes of fire this time of year and and ways that people can prevent them so Speaking on your point about about that winter time, you're definitely right there. We do see a, a higher volume of our of our house fires and similar indoor mishaps during these months and, and around this time frame here. Specifically this year, we've had a couple of close calls, I would say, and, and some a little bit more than close calls as far as chimney fires go. We had one just the other day and a couple weeks before another one. So a lot of these heater-involved incidents or or, you know, internal inside the house heat sources chimneys space heaters stuff like that they're they're fairly simple fire prevention fixes to this so 
what we always recommend to everyone is make sure your chimneys, your fireplaces are serviced and cleaned every year. Make sure right off the bat. This way, when you go to use them, you can have a little bit more peace of mind knowing that, that they are ready to go, ready to handle that fire that's, that's brewing inside of them. Make sure all your aspects of that are working, all your features, your flumes and grates and whatnot, your chimney toppers aren't clogged. A lot of that stuff's gonna gonna lead to some of these mishaps. A general cognizance and awareness of what you have going on in the house. You know, we, we had a fire one year that was caused by uh, leaving a heat source next to a, a can of gasoline. So hmm. stuff like that. If you're using heat sources, be aware of what's around it. You know, don't, don't leave the area that the heat source is in, be it space heaters or chimneys. Always keep an eye on that kind of stuff and and try to have some means of extinguishment around, you know, a, a fire extinguisher in a garage or in a kitchen, always a great idea. The, the standard stuff that we push year round, you know, checking smoke detectors because smoke detectors are a great way of, of life safety as, as in the event that one of these unfortunate situations were to happen and, you know, it's out of control, out of your control in the middle of the night. How are you going to wake up? You're going to want to get yourself out. The house is important, but human life is, is much more important. So checking those smoke detectors for you and your family safety. We always teach the kids around fire prevention season, which comes up in October. No two ways out of the house, have a meeting spot with your parents, that kind of stuff. But as far as these winter-related incidents and, and you know mishaps go, definitely just cognizance, making sure everything's got the green light before you go ahead and, and heat up that chimney. Yeah, and one, one thing too is I, I've seen a couple of them where people really load these power strips up Mm-hmm. And sometimes these power strips are not exactly new, right? So we were we were on one where somebody had a power strip. They it seemed like they had every possible thing they could plug into it, plugged into it that was drawing a lot of power in this thing. And they had it in a, in a weird spot, like they had it next to a mattress, which and then they're catching the mattress on fire. So I would I would say you know keep an eye on those power strips and don't be afraid to take them out of take them out of service, as they say, if right. they're years old and, and you see any anything that doesn't look right with it, like a frayed wire or anything like that. And another one too is is candles. Sometimes people light candles and forget about them and leave them in kind of sketchy areas of the house. So that's that seems to be more of a kind of a winter a winter phenomenon too where people light more candles. But yeah, as far as that and just that basic smoke detector thing, I know the, the general rule of thumb is to try to, you know, do them during the time change, mm-hmm. but on, that that doesn't always happen. So, like another one, next week is next week is usually kind of quiet for a lot of people between Christmas and New Year's. So, you know, for any listener, if you're thinking about it right now, just put a reminder in your phone. You know, while you're around next week before the New Year, just swap out swap out those batteries because mm-hmm. it's such an easy thing, and it's a classic example of why didn't I just change the battery if something right. happens and you actually needed it and it. And it didn't function. Yeah, that's a good idea. I want to go back quickly to the point you made about chimneys. I, I think that's a great point. And I think that, unfortunately, when, you know, people are, are struggling economically, one of the first things they sometimes, like, forego is, like, regular maintenance, like, on things like, oh, you know, cleaning the chimney. But that could be a, a very costly mistake. You know, my little PSA, like, please don't do that, you know, because... I know a lot of people have had a, a hard time economically this year. So something like that, yeah, it might be tempting to just, oh, we can skip that, you know. But that creosote builds up and, you know, it could be. It's a good point, Josh, because even even maybe this year, because it is, you know, it has been financially tough in a lot of ways. 
for many people that maybe they haven't even used that wood burning stove in a few years, but right. this year they're going, you know what, let's let's try this thing out, save a few bucks and yep. throw some wood in that thing. But you know, it's been a couple of years or seasons since they used it. And who knows? Maybe there's like a huge bird's nest or something in there. It's something that's gonna, you know, cause a problem. So definitely, right. even if I mean, if nothing else, before you light the fire, stick your head in there and kind of look up. Can you see daylight? Right. You know what I mean? It, it, you sh- or can you see any light? Or is it completely up- if you if it's completely obstructed? You know that you probably don't want to start a fire quite yet. Right. You would hope. Yeah. You but know. you may not just throw some wood in there and fire it up. And we definitely are speaking on this point from experience. You know, like I said, we we had one the other day. That was a chimney flume issue. So they didn't check the flume before they started working, which most people wouldn't. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna point fingers at anyone here, but making sure the flume operable and open before you uh, light your fire, smoke bank down pretty quickly. And luckily, there was no issue. We had a lot of our mutual aid companies get on scene, help us out real quick with that, and the fire didn't spread outside the chimney. But that's that's an easily fixable problem there. And like I said, a couple of weeks before we had. We had one that was even less the homeowner's fault at all because they hadn't even burned within the past, I don't know if it was a 24 or 48 hours, and there was just some enough heat in there, enough smoldering going on in that fireplace left over from when they burned previously. It finally caught off the one night in the middle of the night, uh, nonetheless, hmm. and they woke up to the smell of burning, and that one was a little more serious. We did have some, some damage there, but, but again, the good thing was they were able to wake up to that smell and kind of catch it before it turned into a huge problem. But maintenance, maintenance is a huge way to avoid a lot of these heat source incidents that we're talking about. Right, right. And, and I think the weather plays a role too. I mean, I think last year we had such a mild winter, you know, like people weren't as worried about their heating bills, you know, but this year it's already gotten really cold once or twice. And then you know, that's sort of when people start to try and get creative, like with their auxiliary, like heating sources, like you were referencing here, yep. you know, to try and save a couple bucks, but that can, you know, cause problems. So, you know, especially with the space heaters and stuff, a lot of people have older space heaters or heating pads and, you know, those kind of scare me a little bit, but. <laughs> a lot of those, uh, those space heaters, you know, that's, it's easy to kind of set them or turn them on and forget them, but yeah. they, they really heat up. And I and I can guarantee that plenty of people listening right now, if they were to feel like the outlet area and the cord and the plug of their heater, if they have it on for a couple hours, mm-hmm. that thing gets really, really hot. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of the older ones, they're they're not meant to just run continuously. It, it probably says it somewhere on there. Right. But you kind of turn it up and forget it until you go to unplug and it's like, how is this thing? How is this thing super hot like this? That doesn't feel right. Right. So just, you know, something, something to be mindful of. Yeah. Good point. Getting back to the holidays, like I know you guys just had a special event. You had a Santa run, which you know is a tradition every year, and this year was a little bit different because of COVID nineteen. Can you tell us a little bit about how you coordinated that and and what the response was like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as far as our Santa run goes, for us and for our members that we have currently, to a lot of us, it's a, it's a fairly new thing. I know the department used to do it in years past, and, and it kind of fell by the wayside until um, a couple years ago, our, our captain at the time, Scott Zaleski, he actually picked the tradition back up. Scott and I are from the same neighborhood out in New Jersey, where we're used to 
Santa coming around on the fire trucks and and he kind of had that push to say we need to bring this back here because it, it is a magical experience for kids so super grateful for all the work that Scott put into starting this back up so this year we had to kind of modify our plan that we that we did last year and the year previous when Scott had had his idea of starting it back up we have a 25 square mile township a little over 25 square miles I believe there's a lot of roadway. I believe that the total calculation is over 100 miles of roadway in the township. Hmm. And that's a hard, hard day for volunteers to hit. So we have two crews go off east and west side of the, the township to bring Santa around. It's still an eight-hour day for both crews, and we're not hitting every street. It's nearly impossible to do that, especially in the fire trucks. You know, you're going to back yourselves down a couple dead ends. That's going to take you a minute to get out of So. Scott created this idea of stop location where we would try to hit as many roads from one point to another, but we would tell people, hey, we're going to stop here around this time frame, and Santa's going to get off the truck, and he's going to take pictures and give out candy canes. And that was a great idea to kind of mitigate having to stop down every single street so we can keep our day to a modest eight-hour day <laughs> for two separate crews as opposed to, you know, several days where we're a longer than eight-hour stride of, of sirens nonstop and, and ho ho hoing for our Santas. We modified that idea this year by more than doubling our stop locations. Mm-hmm. And we did advise the community beforehand, you know, we're gonna come around. If you guys are gonna gather at these stop locations for your neighbors sake, try to spread out, follow all CDC recommendations, face mask up. Unless you know you're the only household at the stop location, we were trying to push making sure people stay spaced out and and masked up as the CDC recommends. We don't want to encourage too much gathering, but we do want to make it easier for people to come out and see Santa. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that we did was we we weren't pulling Santa off the trucks. And unfortunately this year, we didn't want to give out candy cane just because of, you know, that stop the spread kind of thing. We don't want to be taking something that's been here at our station with all of us Mm -hmm. and then passing it just, just in the event that there are some germs or whatnot spreading with that. So, we didn't do candy canes this year, which was a bit of a bummer, and we left Santa on the trucks, which saved us the time at each stop location and allowed us to add all these extra stop locations. So at the end of it, we had about 100 stop or over 100 stop locations in the entire township, and we added several more miles of roadway that we covered in the trucks on each side of the township, which definitely helped. We saw a lot of people coming out to the edges of their driveway, to their front doors and stuff like that, which to me, from the Facebook posts and the Nextdoor app comments and everything that we've seen, it definitely seemed like a well-received event. You know, in light of COVID and everything, it was uh, the best that we can do to still provide this magical experience to the kids of the township. And it really is. When you see the, the looks on these kids' faces as Santa comes down the street in the fire truck, you, you're really reminded, like, why we're all here, you know, what we're all doing this for. We were glad to be able to implement these safe practices to keep Santa coming around. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I mean, Tony and I have both been doing it since we resurrected this, uh, I think it was in 2018, so this would be the third, third time in recent history. But from my, from my perspective, which was on top of the, top of the truck, and, I, you know, like I explained to the kids, Santa, Santa has lots of helpers with fire departments all over, all over the country. Any of our younger listeners interested in that? So... I was one of Santa's helpers out there, and by far it was the most people that I've ever seen. And I, you know, I think part of it is just that, you know, probably two reasons. One, there's just not a lot of normal festive options for people to be doing on a Saturday before Christmas. And mm. number two, I think people are just really, really looking for something, almost psychologically, that just kind of brings them back to normal. So there was a tremendous amount of, of people and support, and 
you know, there were still plenty of chances to get a picture with Santa. So I, I was on top of the truck. The family would come and stand next to the truck, and mm-hmm. someone would take the picture. So Santa was in the background. And, you know, at the promenade, which is typically a popular spot for a photo with Santa, that wasn't happening, as far as I know, that wasn't happening this year. So I know from for a lot of families, we were able to provide the only opportunity to get a photo with Santa, albeit a little bit different than normal, but the only photo with Santa for for Christmas 2020. So yeah, it worked out worked out really really well. Yeah, I think I think they did have Santa at the promenade, but it was like very different with Santa behind plexiglass and. Uh... Well, I was over there a couple times. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, every time I was there, that little hut was uh, closed up, so I wasn't oh, sure really? what they were huh. doing. Well, maybe. Uh... Santa had to stay at the North Pole <laughs> instead of making that that visit. But it's it's great that you guys are there. And like you said, I mean, people at this point don't really expect anything to be normal, quote unquote. But they're just grateful that you tried and that there was something. You know, people sort of need something to to hang their hat on to feel that that sense of normalcy. And it, it does. It does mean extra work and extra planning and everything, but I, I do think they're really grateful for that. So thank you. Absolutely. And there's definitely a, a good amount of planning, especially, you know, this year, all the all the COVID considerations. But I do I do want to loop that back a little bit around to that, um, you know, recruitment retention aspect of the conversation we were having earlier, where there's a lot of reasons why people join the fire department and whatnot. And one of the big reasons is, you know, like you said, it's, it's not financially advisable. I wouldn't say advisable. Maybe, maybe the word I'm looking for is uh, financially smart, you know, <laughs> or considered doing the fire department because, you know, you're not really getting a financial kickback from it. But what you are getting is the ability to help your neighbors. And to some that might not be, you know, as, as inspiring as it is to others. But I know the group of guys that we have here, as I'm sure most fire departments in our area and around the world can say, that does a lot for us here. So the Santa Run is a huge win in that aspect where we have a lot of guys that come out that are interested. It really does give us that sense of, you know, we're here for a reason. We're here for this community. And, you know, this community does appreciate what we do for them. So going around, being able to bring Santa Claus to all the kids is super rewarding. And to see the community support afterwards and during the, the Santa run is just great. You know, we try to do everything we can for our community. That's the entire reason that we exist. That's the reason that we're here. You know, us volunteers, we don't make money for doing what we do. So we're here for that community and to see everyone out there enjoying it that's exactly what we're here for it, it makes all the extra work all worth it everything that we do year-round it's it's a great time yeah yeah and, and like what tony's saying i think with the you know the fire department there's two in my mind anyway there's two roles that that a fire department plays in any community right one is one is disaster response and going to incidents to take care of a problem but the other one really is to be that kind of that centerpiece of the community and there really is a comfort factor in my mind, like uh, psychological, you know, no matter what's going on in the world, especially with 2020 and, and so much uncertainty and routines are out the window and, you know, everything is kind of upside down. But at the end of it, you know that the fire department is always there for you 24-7. So especially at Christmas time for people to be able to kind of see them, see us out and about and making the rounds it just, I think it gives reassurances to everybody that life is okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and unfortunately, yeah, this year, I mean, 
all fire departments around here really couldn't be as visible because we didn't have the parades like normal. You know, the Halloween parades were all canceled, and I know there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of people bummed about that, but you really couldn't. Normal public events that would get departments kind of out and about were right. The open were, houses and so on. Right. We're definitely no stranger to that. Bartos and I this year are. Uh, working on our open house committee and fire prevention committee, which we were able to hit one of the schools or one of the uh, daycares that we usually get to make our rounds to for fire prevention. We, they actually asked us to come down and we implemented a COVID safe social distance fire prevention presentation, which is, you know, one school, a couple classes in that school. We usually do, you know, a week's worth, which uh, have some pretty full days of daycares and schools and whatnot in the area as far as fire prevention goes and the open house is something that we had to push back and postpone and we're looking at you know possibly hopefully not but possibly having to do that again this year we're kind of trying to work with covid and make some covid safe precautions and whatnot and bart is heading up our first annual upper Stalking fun run stop drop and run 5k which you know was initially supposed to be around our open house time in october that got pushed back and it's rescheduled for February 27th, which is a Saturday, and uh, we're hoping that we don't have to change that, but obviously we'll keep our Facebook page updated as we see how COVID goes with these vaccines coming out and everything. Yeah, but right now, right now, for any, anybody who's listening, I know as a runner and a walker, we've had pretty, and I'm, I'm a very avid runner myself, so it's been a bummer in the past, you know, nine months to not have the typical races on the Lehigh Valley race calendar. I know for any any runners out there, that's a common thing we can all commiserate over. So this mm-hmm. will be a, a great chance to get back to a, a starting line and we'll have all the safety precautions in place here, but definitely mark mark your calendars and registration is, is open right now on active. You can get you can get to the registration on the Facebook on the Upper Socket Fire Department Facebook page. It's gonna be a really cool winter five K starting at the station and out and back loop. We're gonna have all sorts of cool stuff going on for post race celebrations, great food and prizes, music for sure, mm-hmm. and just a lot of uh, post race festivities, cool T shirts. So it, it'll definitely be a fun run. It'll be the inaugural stop drop and run five K. So walkers are definitely welcome as well it's going to be uh, sponsored by bar 40 and there'll be some some really cool prizes going on so definitely check that out and, and register worst case scenario if we have to we'll postpone it but your registration would be good for the postponed date whatever that comes out to but right now we're all systems go yeah we want to do everything that we can to have this race happen on the 27th it's the first uh, or the second scheduled date that we had set this for and you know, obviously, we're working in several COVID safety precautions and whatnot. As long as things, you know, start getting better and whatnot, we're going to run it at, at all all possibilities, all if at all possible. <laughs> Unless there's something that really compels us to to reschedule it, we're going to do it as planned. Right. The way it stands right now. Well, it's it's well, an outdoor event, so I think you'll. I I hope that that by then things will be more stable than they are now and and as long as they are I, I i would think you'll be able to do that but yeah i think we're, I think we're trending in the right direction I, I noticed on some of the race websites that that i get the weekly emails for more and more races seem to be popping up on the race calendar for january and into february so it, it seems like we're, we're definitely heading in the right direction 
Awesome. Yeah. And, and definitely follow the Upper Saucon Volunteer Fire Department on Facebook. Are you guys on Instagram or? We no. do have an Instagram. It's not as regularly updated as the Facebook just because it's more of a photo sharing platform. The Facebook right. is really what we do our heavy information posting on as far as events and whatnot go. It's just a, it's just a better platform for that at this time. Mm-hmm. We do have a, an Instagram. It should be Upper Saucon Volunteer Fire Department as well. And of course, your website is a great source of information. And... Yeah, new and improved website. Thanks to our uh, our fire police captain, John Rockowitz. He actually just put out a new updated and very much more user-friendly website that people can go to check out for updates and whatnot. Everything that we post on the Facebook, we try to get on the website as well. It's looking great out there, though. So make sure you guys go check it out. Check out all the updates to our page, our truck information, everything like that. Basically do a virtual open house from that website now. There's a lot of interesting history on the website too. I was I was reading that section and didn't yes. didn't know it's it's very detailed about the history of the Upper Saucon Fire Department, which goes back almost seventy years, I think. Um, and and you'll enjoy reading that if you're a local history buff or a fire history buff. So I would encourage everyone to check that out. Well, thank you for joining us and for all this wonderful information and certainly wish both of you a very Merry Christmas and a, and a Happy New Year and a safe New Year for all of our, our volunteers who are going to be, you know, on standby like they always are while we're, you know, enjoying the holidays. You guys, you know, you might have to run out to a call and, and we thank you for that. We'll be here if you guys need us. Thank you very much for having us on, Josh. And same to you and same to all your team over there. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas and a very happy new year. Yeah, thanks, Josh. And and uh, keep up the great work over at, at Sock and Source. It's a wonderful source of local news. I read it all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you again sometime. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Every night, he climbs the tower, sees your face on every tower.